Well, it is a new year, and with a new year, this time anyway, comes a new book that we're studying of the Bible. And today's really just an intro sermon on that subject. The title of today's sermon is Words of Wisdom. We're talking about wisdom, wisdom that we need, wisdom that is God's wisdom. And we just have to start by asking if we're wise. Are you wise right now in your life? Are you wise according to Scripture? Do you show a life of of making good choices for yourself, for your family, for your business, or your job? Would you say that when others look at you, they see you as somebody that has discernment? Do you show wisdom in making choices? Are you discerning? Do you walk in the wisdom of God? Wisdom seems to be at an all-time low in human history right now. I know every generation says that, but it seems like We're getting less and less wise as a world in general. Our world and country are confused, regularly showing a complete lack of wisdom. Our world, our country, our state, even sometimes local officials are unable to make good decisions about life. Unbelievers in general are unable to make good decisions about life, unable to discern the difference between freedom and dependence, unwise in making political decisions, financial decisions, family decisions job decisions, who they're going to marry decisions. Even many people today seem unable to know the difference between a man and a woman, something that is very basic to humanity. Not to mention the complete lack of skill in what we see in our government. That's just the world, though. We could go on and on with that list, but I want to narrow the focus a bit and let's talk about Christians, because that's just the world. We might expect that the world would not walk in wisdom, not walk in the wisdom that we see in the Bible. But what about the church? What about Christians? Are Christians today walking in wisdom more or less than we used to, than we should? It's even worse, I think, when we look at the church. Amongst God's people, amongst Christians, there seems to be no discernment in doctrine, hardly. The every wind of doctrine that Paul talks about seems to just toss people wherever the wind blows. When it comes to doctrine and godly living, it seems like emotions rule the day. There's more books being sold about emotions and how you feel in Christianity than there is about the truth of God's word. There's so much confusion and lack of discernment and wisdom in church government. Men and sometimes women are elevated to elders and pastors, ignoring what the Bible has to say. As if wisdom doesn't even matter when it comes to the church. Individual Christians show no wisdom in making choices about what church they'll join, what job they'll take, where to live, where to work, and even how much time they work each week. Now, of course, this doesn't fit every single Christian you know, but in general, you would probably agree with me that there seems to be a real lack of wisdom in the Christian life these days. A majority of the counseling cases that we do, that pastors do in any church, any biblical church, is dealing with wisdom issues. Even if it ends up becoming a pattern of sin, that started with a bad choice. That started with a bad choice, a lack of discernment. So, so much of what we're counseling usually is just wisdom issues. The current state of affairs for the church, for individual Christians, is sad, and it shouldn't be that way. It's displeasing to the Lord. It's destructive to the lives of believers. One decision we make today, which we might think doesn't matter, ends up having consequences years, sometimes decades later. The Bible says in Proverbs 4, 7, the beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. And with all you're acquiring, get understanding. God tells us we ought to be wise. We ought to seek and acquire wisdom. That should be something we want to do. And in fact, he laments, God himself laments the fact that his people don't have wisdom. Moses is is writing a song. He's about to send the people into the promised land. They've arrived. Moses is going to die. So he tells them his farewell, and he writes this song. And in the song are God's words here. In Deuteronomy 32, 29, he says, Would that they were wise, that they understood this, talking about his commandments, that they would discern their future. His own people are not wise, he's saying. And they don't even understand. They don't understand what they should do. They don't understand their future. And it's not because God hasn't told us. He's told us. He's given us. 66 books of the Bible. He's given us something that many of us have trouble just reading in one year. He's given us so much wisdom to study, to learn from. 
So to address this lack of wisdom among Christians, I want to preach through Ecclesiastes. It is a challenging book of wisdom, but I think it hits us right where we are. It hits us in our own lives. Ecclesiastes, as we'll see in the following weeks, really addresses all the problems that we're experiencing in life, both on a personal level, a church level, and a national or even world level. This series, I pray, will help us to have more wisdom. We need to have more wisdom as believers, as we live in this world. It makes no sense that we have an all-wise God. We just sing about an all-wise God, and yet we don't follow him in this. We should desire that. We should want that. Now, when it comes to a challenging book like Ecclesiastes, it's critical that we first understand and grasp what wisdom is. We grasp certain principles about wisdom literature and scripture and just get our mind around wisdom in general. Because if we, if we just dive in without that, we could misinterpret that book. We could maybe think it's really pessimistic, or we can think it's teaching something that's contradictory to other parts of the Bible. In fact, if you pick up a general commentary, if there was such a thing as Christian bookstores anymore, uh, on Ecclesiastes, if you picked up a commentary, you would find that most people really question that book. They don't understand it, and so they just assume that the writer there is struggling in his own mind, and it's sort of his doubts, his struggles, and he's writing them down for a later generation. Well, there's more to it than that. It's the inspired Word of God, of course, as all these books are. And we need to think about wisdom in general before we dive in so we can see the end, so we can see the forest before we see the trees. So we can see the end before we start in the beginning. So the purpose today of this sermon is to ask four questions about biblical wisdom. And we're going to do that so that we might understand and apply that to the book of Ecclesiastes in the coming months. We want to lay a foundation with today's sermon to understand wisdom. What is wisdom according to the Bible? Not worldly wisdom. We'll talk a little bit about that later in the sermon. But we're not focusing on worldly wisdom, philosophies of man. That's bad, generally evil, sinful wisdom. We are looking at God's wisdom. We are looking at the ocean as we arrive at the beach. We just take in the whole view. That's what we're doing today. Next week, we'll start to dip our toes in the water and experience what the book has to teach us. So four questions that we want to ask and answer today. Number one, what is wisdom? Anytime we talk about terms, you need to ask, what is that term? What does it mean? Frank, this morning in his attributes class, he defined what an attribute was, and he threw all this Latin at us. It sounded really smart and, and showed us how to define an attribute. Well, how do we define wisdom? What, what is it? Well, it comes from the Hebrew word hokma. The verb is hokam. And this word or verb occurs over and over and over in the Old Testament in Hebrew. And it's showing us how important wisdom is. It occurs hundreds of times. These words are used to describe initially the skill of craftsmen in the Old Testament. People who work with metal, woodworking, working with cloth, sailors. Even those who build the tabernacle of God are said to have chokmah. They're, they're said to have wisdom. Because it's talking about how you use your hands, how you use your, your craft. So in Exodus 35.30, it says, Then Moses said to the sons of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all craftsmanship to make designs for working in gold and silver and bronze, the cutting of stones for settings, the carving of wood, so as to perform in every inventive work. So God gave him special wisdom, skill, and doing his day-to-day -day craftsmanship and building the things that the tabernacle needed, that God had said for them to build. It's even used, the same word is used to speak of ruling and reigning over a state, reigning and leading people, ruling over people. Joseph, the leaders of the 12 tribes, David, Solomon, Daniel, were all said to have hokmah, wisdom, with regard to matters of government. We want wise leaders. And the Bible points out these leaders when they are wise, and they're given the wisdom of God. So Deuteronomy 34, 9. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom. He's not talking about the Holy Spirit, just a human spirit blessed with wisdom. 
for Moses had laid his hands on him. And the sons of Israel listened to him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. So Joshua receives special wisdom, special skill in leading, or Moses once led, now Joshua will lead. 1 Kings 4.29 speaks of Solomon. Now God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breadth of mind, like the sand that is on the seashore. Solomon was the wisest before Christ. He was the wisest man other than Jesus that's ever lived. He was so wise that he had to make difficult decisions and he used unique ways to make those choices and decisions. When you think of wisdom in the Bible, it's not filling your head with knowledge. It's not saying Solomon knew more than everybody else, although I'm sure he knew a lot. You have to have some knowledge. But he made wise choices. He's asking to rule wisely over the people when he asked God for wisdom. So what is wisdom? It's chokmah, it's skill. It's living in a godly way, in a skillful way. This word is used 182 times in the wisdom literature. And it builds on the basic idea of skill with your hands there. But in Proverbs, in Job, in Ecclesiastes, it is talking about skillful living as God's people. The ability to make right choices. The ability to live your life according to all that we know from God's word. To live out your life according to the Bible is wisdom. It means to take the truths and doctrine and theology and all that we know from God's word and about God and live it out in a way that honors him and brings glory to him. It's skillful living in every area of your life. It's not just skill in choosing the right church. It's not just wisdom in choosing the right spouse. But it's in everything. Everything we do every day, every week, every year of our life. The ESV study Bible defines it like this. Having skill in the art of godly living. An orientation which allows one to live in harmonious accord with God's ordering of the world. God has set up the world a certain way. And if you live in that world according to God's word, then you'll be blessed in general. In general, you'll be blessed. Now, there are exceptions to that, and we'll talk about that. But it's wisdom to follow what God has said in his own creation. He designed it. Why wouldn't we want to live according to his wisdom? Hokmah means skillful living with reverence for God. To, to know and to choose the best means for the best ends. It's New Year's. You probably have some resolutions. I hope they're more like goals. You've actually written them down and set your mind to accomplish them. You've thought about that end goal that you want. And now you have to work every day and make choices every day to accomplish that goal. That takes wisdom. That's what we're talking about. It's not head knowledge. Of course, you have to have some knowledge and understanding to apply and live it out. But it's more about how you live, how you practice, how you make choices in your life. And so much of wisdom comes down to discernment, the ability to judge well. Sinclair Ferguson said true discernment. True discernment means not only distinguishing the right from the wrong, it means distinguishing the primary from the secondary, the essential from the indifferent, the permanent from the transient. And yes, it means distinguishing between the good and the better, and even between the better and the best. It's making choices. You do this every day, hundreds of times a day, making good choices, choices that line up with God's will for your life. It's how to live wisely as a believer through the challenges of life. Those who choose the path of wisdom and continue on it will show people around them what God's grace is doing. You're going to show others how God has changed your life by the way you live. People are going to say that's a wise person, not because you've got all this new knowledge, but because you're living differently, because you're living according to God's pattern for life, not the world's. Those who choose this path of wisdom and continue on it will glorify God in what they do. And because of the way you live wisely, godly, God's going to be pleased. He's going to be blessed in the sense that we're blessing him with our actions and sometimes with our words even. And of course, he will give us more wisdom. That's not prosperity gospel as Joey preached on a few weeks ago. That's Bible. Ask me. Ask for wisdom and you will receive it. 
Live it out, Jesus says, and you'll receive even more of it. Those who choose this path continue to glorify God. Here's what John MacArthur said about wisdom in general. He said, in God's view, it's not what you know, it's how you live. And you're not wise unless what you know has shaped your life. In fact, you'll be the biggest fool of all to know it and not let it control your life. So wisdom is how you live out what you know. And what you know should be God, should be his word, all the things that he tells us in his word. And then we use that to make wise choices, take wise actions, and live in a way that glorifies him. It helps us come up with the right and godly answers to questions in life. From the largest decisions to the smallest. Questions like, who should I marry? Where should I go to school? Should I even go to college? Is that a state college, a Christian college? What job should I take? Should I move to this town to take that job? Are there any good biblical churches in that town that I'm moving to to take that job? Should my kids be homeschooled, public school, private school? Should we live on a budget or not? Should we go into debt or not? Should we buy this house, rent this apartment, take on these roommates? Should I take my wife on a regular date night or not? The answer is yes. Be wise. Be wise, guys. Come on, you know. Should I live with this roommate or not? Should I take this person as a customer or not in my business? How many books should I try to read this year? How much should I spend in personal Bible study each day? Should I get this special job training or not? Should I speak to my child, my my parent, my sibling about a sin pattern that I see in their life? Is this the right time to do that? Have they crossed that line so that I should do that? I'm just throwing out examples here. Of all the people I interact with each day, who needs my focused attention? Because I can't give everybody the same amount of attention. Who really needs it right now? Who needs prayers right now? How do I even pray? All of that comes down to wisdom. Should I obey this text that goes out from Bear County telling me to stay home and essentially not go to church? Should I avoid church gatherings if I'm young and relatively healthy or not? Should I wear a mask in the car when it's just me by myself? I literally saw that this morning. Should I do those things? On a church leadership level, who's qualified to lead? How should teaching and preaching and worship be done? What kind of music are we going to have? What color carpet are we going to have? What what kind of church chairs are we going to have? What do our church finances look like? How should they look according to the Bible? Should we seek out and get a new building? Should we lease or buy? And on and on, hundreds of times, every day, every week, we are making choices. Choices that affect our life. And if we use God's wisdom, if we have God's wisdom, then we're going to make the right choices. Not every time, because sometimes we'll get in the way. Sometimes we lack understanding of the Bible. Sometimes our emotions get in the way. But the more you know God's wisdom, the more you can apply God's wisdom. And the more you apply it in those situations, the more you're going to be living a godly life. Now, wisdom is a topic found all throughout the Bible, but it's in the wisdom books where you see wisdom as the primary theme. The rest of Scripture is really focused on salvation, how you come to know God, the history of that with Israel, the Messiah who is to come, the future coming of the Messiah, how if we trust in Him, if we have faith in Him, if we repent of our sins, we can be saved eternally. But wisdom's focused just on regular, everyday life. It doesn't ignore salvation. It assumes salvation. So now that you are saved, how do you live? It addresses that. So wisdom literature, the wisdom books of our Bible, consist of those writings that reflect or inform our lives in this world as we live according to God's created order. If you open your Bible right till about the center, You're going to find five books there. Five books that the Hebrews called the writings. And and in the Hebrew Bible, they come much later. But in ours, they're, they're right in the middle of our Bibles, in the middle of the Old Testament almost. And these are the five books of wisdom and poetry. These are the Old Testament books that, in English, will fall between the historical books, what happened from creation, all the way through into the exile with the nation of Israel. And then we find the wisdom books, and then we find the prophets. Psalms and Song of Solomon really aren't wisdom books. They're more poetic. They're songs. The Song of Solomon is is a lyrical book, a, a song celebrating marriage. 
There is, of course, wisdom in marriage and, and some things you can get there, but it's not so much a wisdom book as just a celebration, a song, poetry. And the same with the Psalms. Uh, the Psalms do have some Psalms that are specifically wisdom, but for the most part, these are just songs of worship, songs of praise, songs of calling out to God. This is ancient Israel's hymn book. And there'll be places like we saw in Psalm 1 that speak of wisdom. But for the most part, it's considered poetry. So the three wisdom books are Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes. If you want to really get wisdom, then you need to almost master those books, study those books. And I think we recognize that if you've read any of the Proverbs, you realize how important those are. In fact, many times if you hand out those little Bibles of just the New Testament and the Psalms and Proverbs to a new believer, that's essentially saying these are the most important. You must read these. We never want to elevate one book over another in the Bible. But we realize with Proverbs, there's practical, basic instructions on how to live. Now, Job and Ecclesiastes are a little bit harder for us because that type of wisdom is reflective. It's looking back. It's contemplating, it's pondering the meaning of life and God's sovereignty. Proverbs is just telling you little proverbial sayings, inspired by God, of course, to tell you how to live a normal life. Job is what life is like when things are not normal. If Proverbs is life that should happen normally, Job is what happens when things are not normal. How do we think about that? How do we consider what God is doing when things are not happening like they should? Ecclesiastes is where the meaning and the purpose of life is really explored there. Where is life to be found? How do we enjoy life amidst all of this struggle and sin and chaos in the world? And it really is about that. It's not pessimistic. I'll talk more about that in coming weeks. But my uh, former professor at a master seminary, Bill Barrick, and he's really a heavyweight in Old Testament scholarship. He wrote a commentary on Ecclesiastes. And you know what he called that? You know what the subtitle of his commentary was? The Philippians of the Old Testament. What's the theme of Philippians? We'll look at that in our Bible studies on Wednesday, but it's joy. Paul keeps talking about joy. And many people argue that Ecclesiastes is a joyful book. When you first read through it, you're not going to see that. But as we stop and, and study and pull some things out, I think you will see that God is trying to tell us, here's where you find joy, even amidst all that's going on in your life. Another way to think of these three books is how Derek Kidner, another Old Testament scholar, said, he said, Proverbs is the seven-pillared house of wisdom. Job is the wrecked house struck by the wind. And Ecclesiastes, a great house in the grip of decay. So the wisdom literature is choice-making literature. The more we study those three books, the better we're going to do at making choices that line up with what God wants us to do. God's will. God's will for our life. You know, it's kind of popular amongst the younger people. What's God's will for my life? Sometimes a new Christian. What's God's will for my life? You know, is he going to shine a beam down on this person that I'm supposed to marry? Is he going to speak to me and tell me who it is and what her name is? No, I'm expected to read the Bible, have wisdom, and then go out and make good choices that line up with that. So the wisdom literature is going to help us in that. What are the choices in life? It'll even lay some of those out. What advice do I need to make the right choices? What role does God have in making those choices? As the people of God, we, we want to make choices that are godly. R.C. Sproul comments about this. He's talking here about how Christians these days don't want to dive too deep into the Bible or theology or thinking too much. And he says, the anti-intellectual spirit of our times declares, I don't need to study. I don't need to know the Bible. All I need is to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Sproul says that viewpoint is on a collision course with what the wisdom literature teaches. We want to be rich. We want to be successful. We want to be comfortable. But we don't long for wisdom. Thus, we do not read the scriptures, the supreme textbook of wisdom. He says this is foolishness. Let us pursue the knowledge of God through the word of God. For in that way, we will find wisdom to live lives that please him. Amen. Let's not be anti-intellectual. Let's study. Let's study to learn, study to apply, and live it out in our life. The goal of wisdom is to produce more mature and godly believers. That's the goal. 
who can skillfully apply wisdom principles to life in a complex world. Things are going to be complex in your life. And you're not going to know why. And you can't figure all those things out. But you do know what the Bible says. If you study it. If you read it. You do know what the Bible says. And you're supposed to use that to now make decisions in all those complexities that you have in life. So that was a long one. What is wisdom? We need to define it well before we jump into the number two. Now, where does wisdom come from? And if we don't understand the answer to this question rightly, we're going to seek wisdom in the wrong place. We'll seek it in ourselves. We'll seek it from other people. We'll seek it from the world. But I want you to turn now to Proverbs chapter 8. And Proverbs makes very clear here where wisdom comes from. Where does it come from? So we have Job, Psalms, and then Proverbs chapter 8. And really the whole chapter is about wisdom. We'll pick up in verse 22. And this is wisdom speaking. So wisdom has been personified here. So as Solomon writes Proverbs chapter 8, he's speaking as if he is wisdom. And he's speaking truth about wisdom. Proverbs 8.22, The Lord possessed me, wisdom, at the beginning of his way, before his works of old. From everlasting I was established. From the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth. Where does wisdom come from? It comes from God. That's where it comes from. God created it. God established it. God is all wise. And he has sent his wisdom out in the word here and in creation for us to receive it, for us to see it, for us to have revelation about God from those areas. Verse 24, when there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While he had not yet made the earth and the fields, nor the first dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he inscribed a circle on the face of the deep. When he made from the skies above, when the springs of the deep became fixed. When he set for the sea its boundary, so that the water would not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master workman. You see, God used wisdom and skill in his creation. And I was daily his delight. God delights in wisdom. Rejoicing always before him. Rejoicing in the world, his earth. And having my delight in the sons of men. God delights in wisdom. His creation, mankind, should delight in wisdom. And the emphasis here is wisdom came before everything else. Wisdom came before everything else God created. Therefore, it didn't come from us. We can't say wisdom comes from man, ultimately. The Bible clearly says it doesn't. It comes from God, because it was there before man was created. The wisdom that's needed for good and and full and godly life is the same wisdom that God used to create the world. Now go to one of my favorite chapters in the wisdom books, back to Job chapter 28. Where does wisdom come from? It comes from God. So go back now to Job chapter 28. Job's had some things come up in his life. He wonders why. He's been righteous. He's not lived a life of sin. And it's supposed to be that those who sin get punished and and those who live righteously are blessed. And yet God allows Satan to do all these things and God's sovereignty, Satan comes and he destroys Job's business, Job's family, Job's house. And his friends come and they don't have an answer for Job. They're just continuing to accuse him. They're being harsh. They're being critical. And so Job answers them in this beautiful poem in chapter 28. And the first 11 verses are about how man will go to the greatest extent digging down into the earth, trying to find beautiful jewels, gold, wonderful things. He will search out everything where no animal can go. Man can dig and go down and look for these things. But verse 12, but where can wisdom be found? You see, that's the problem. Job doesn't have wisdom enough to understand what's happened in his life. And he's asking God, show me, God. Give me that wisdom. Where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value. We don't even understand how valuable wisdom really is. Nor is it found in the land of the living. You don't find it amongst people. You find it, of course, from God. The deep says it's not in me. The sea says it's not with me. So we can't get wisdom on how to live a good life and understand how the universe works 
from just looking at creation. Pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it, nor can silver be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold or glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for articles of fine gold. True wisdom from God is so valuable that nothing equals that. You can't buy it. Coral and crystal are not to be mentioned. The acquisition of wisdom is above that of pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. So man will go to the greatest extent to get the most valuable things he can find, gold, jewels. And even those valuable, valuable things can't buy God's wisdom. God's wisdom is infinitely more valuable. So in verse 20, he returns to the question, the question that we have here as our second point, where then does wisdom come from? And where is the place of understanding? Thus it is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the sky. Abaddon and death say with our ears, we have heard a report of it. Those who've gone on to die are speaking here, personified here. And they're saying, we've heard something about wisdom. And now we get the answer in verse 23. God understands its way. And he knows its place. God knows where wisdom can be found. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he imparted weight to the wind and meted out the waters by measure. So when God created these wonderful things, when he set a limit for the rain and a course for the thunderbolt. Then he saw it and declared it and established it, talking about wisdom, and also searched it out. So wisdom is found in just how God created the earth. In other words, wisdom comes from God, and we can see some of it in his creation. But here's what he says to us. And to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. Remember that one? We're going to come back to it on our next point, the fear of the Lord. But I want to point out in chapter 28, where does wisdom come from? It comes from God. It comes from God. And yes, you can learn some things. Romans 1 says some things about God. But you really can't know what you should know about God unless you have the Bible. Unless you read your Bible. Unless you study your Bible. True wisdom comes from God. There's no other source. If we look to ourselves, the the world actually tells us to do that. Listen to your heart. Read this great new book that will tell you how to have a great 2021, the most wonderful year ever. No, that's just going to lead us into worldly wisdom, human wisdom. Are there some practical, common grace things that the world can teach us? Sure, the world can teach us what they've discovered. Sometimes it's false, but sometimes it's just observations. Science is an observation. It should be an observation, observing God's creation. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about how to live with wisdom, with God's wisdom, how to live it out in a skillful way in our life. I'll give you an example here. A man that I know, he made a huge mistake in partnering with an unbeliever in business. And it ended up costing him a lot of money. He ended up getting all of these tax issues with the IRS. And of course, he broke off that partnership later. They were really close in business. And I asked him if he had ever consulted with other believers because this man was a Christian. Did you consult with other Christians about this? No, no, I didn't think so. I just prayed about it and asked a few of my unbelieving family members. They told me it sounded great. Well, that lack of wisdom and, and getting other counsel from people who could have pointed him to scripture got him into dire financial trouble that he's still to this day trying to get out of. Where does wisdom come from? It comes from God. And even when you counsel with other believers, That wisdom they're giving you is just coming from God. They're thinking and remembering things that you haven't thought of yet, and they're helping you think wisely. It's so important to be wise. So important as a Christian. Number three, what is the purpose of wisdom? Now, I've told you it's to live a godly life, but let's look a little closer at that. The purpose of biblical wisdom is so that believers can live a life of reverence and of trust in the Lord, in His orderly creation for his glory. What's the purpose of Job? What's the purpose of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes? It's so that believers can live a life of reverence of and trust in the Lord in his orderly creation for his glory. Soli Deo Gloria. Living for the glory of God. 
How do we do that? Well, we, we have to have trust in him initially, saving faith. We have to turn from our sinful life. Then on day two, as a Christian, what do we do? How do we live? How then shall we now live? That's what believers have always asked. And the Bible doesn't leave us in the dark on that. It tells us. And of course, there's wisdom mixed in the Old Testament, but these books are solely dedicated to wisdom. What's the purpose of wisdom? To glorify God in His creation. To have a reverence, a fear for Him. To trust in Him. Remember that passage we just looked at in Job 28, 28? What did Job say? He basically said, we can't figure out all the wisdom of God. God knows everything. Every single thing that can be known, that ever will be known, God already knows it. He knows everything. What's our role? What's our purpose in life? The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. To worship God rightly, to to fear Him in a healthy, good way, in a holy way, in a reverential way. To worship God, to trust in Him, and to turn away from evil. We might say in the New Testament to repent of our sin, to turn from it. That's wisdom. That's wisdom in a nutshell. Let's go to Proverbs 1, see how Solomon opens that up for us. And that book is very clear compared to Ecclesiastes. Proverbs just starts off telling us what the purpose of the book is. As Bible readers, as teachers of the Bible, as as even preachers, we like it when the book just starts off telling us the purpose. We don't have to guess at it, debate it, argue it. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 3. Well, let's just start in verse 2. What's the purpose? 2 through 7 tells us, to know wisdom and instruction to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior. There it is, chokmah, the idea of wisdom, living out your life, behaving in a wise way. And then he kind of gives some some other words to define that. Righteousness, justice, equity. To give prudence to the naive, to those baby believers who don't know anything, the immature. To the youth, the people who are young, To give them knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning. And a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb. The book is full of proverbs. So just studying it is going to help us to understand those proverbs. And a figure. The words of the wise and the riddles. And then verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So we saw it in Job. Now we see it in Proverbs. The fear of the Lord. Now to the unbeliever, the fear of the Lord is is a fear of God's wrath. That's not what he's talking about here. He's saying to fear God as a believer. Not that you're going to be in hell forever and ever, but that God is holy and that you need to be an imitator of God. You need to be holy, God says, in both Testaments, old and new. Be holy as I am holy. And if I'm not holy, I should bow my head. I should humble myself confess my sins and admit that I'm not holy and ask for God's help. Fearing God incorporates all of that, incorporates worship, praise, all the things that we should do as God's creatures, especially as his redeemed creatures. Let's go forward to Proverbs 9.10. This theme comes up again. So can the unbeliever be wise, not according to God's wisdom? Because the, the beginning of wisdom starts with the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You don't even start on the path to God's wisdom unless you're fearing the Lord rightly. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be multiplied and years of life will be added to you. Talking about wisdom. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. This is talking about worldly wisdom. And if you scoff, you alone will bear it. So those people who are worldly wise, there's actually a a person in Pilgrim's Progress called Worldly Wise Man. And he tries to get the pilgrim to go off the path, to drop everything and go back. If you're worldly wise, you're against God. You scoff at God. You laugh. You think you're smarter than God. But if you want true understanding, then you fear the Lord. That's the point. He's God and we are not. He's God And we are not. Therefore, as his people, we ought to look to him. We ought to worship him, learn from him how to live a godly life under his sovereignty. Even when we don't understand everything that God's doing, we ought to fear him, submit to him, and follow him. 
Well, now let's look at Ecclesiastes. Does this same theme come up there? This theme of fearing the Lord and tying it to wisdom. Go forward to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 14. This whole chapter is about time and how things change and how God is over all of those changes. And in verse 14, the writer here, Solomon, says, I know that everything God does will remain forever. There's nothing to add to it, and there's nothing to take from it. We can't do anything. We can't add to what God is doing. We can't add to what God's already done. We can't take away from any of that, including what's going to happen in the future. For God has so worked that men should, what is it? Fear Him. God set it up that way. It's not your job to understand everything that God knows. You're supposed to just understand what He's shown you and apply that. And that means fearing God. And he goes on, that which has been already and that which will be has already been. For God seeks what has passed by. We'll look at that in more detail later. But there's that theme again. Now go to the very end of the book. In many ways you have to think about Ecclesiastes as a backwards book. Reading it backwards. The point's at the end of the book, not at the beginning like Proverbs. Proverbs, main point, the rest of the book proves that out. Ecclesiastes He's proving it out, and then at the end, he gives you the main point. Starting in verse 9, chapter 12, verse 9. In addition to being a wise man, the preacher, the writer of this book, Solomon, the preacher also taught the people knowledge. And he pondered. You see what he's doing? He's he's looking back and thinking. He pondered. He searched out. He arranged many proverbs. The preacher sought to find delightful words and to write words of truth correctly. The words of wise men are like goads, and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. Well, that's a key verse right there. We don't have time to open the whole thing up, but words of wisdom. God's wisdom in these books are like cattle prods, and they push us in the right direction. And they're given by the writers of Scripture, but ultimately they're given by one shepherd. Who is that one shepherd? It's God. This book as difficult as it can be at times to interpret, comes from God. So it's not pessimism. It's not give up. It's not nothing really matters in life. But it is that God is over everything. So what should we do? Well, let's continue. They're given by one shepherd, verse 12. But beyond this, my son, be warned. The writing of many books is endless. Excessive devotion to books is wearying to the body. The conclusion, when all has been heard, when you've considered this whole book, here's the conclusion. Fear God and keep His commandments. Because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment. Everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. There's that theme all the way through those three wisdom books. You can't figure it all out. He is God. We are not. What's our role? Submit to Him. Fear Him. Follow Him. Do what He says. Follow His commandments. You see, God created the world. He designed it a certain way. He created it very good. And what happened? Sin came into the world. Adam and Eve sinned. And sin came into the world. And even though God had made it orderly and good and perfect, Adam and Eve weren't going around asking, why did this happen to me today? What are you doing, God? No, but after sin, bad things started to happen. Bad things started to happen. And and the whole world, even the creation, was subjected to futility, to vanity, to disorder. Now, there's enough order that things keep going, right? God is providential over that. But God also subjected the world to futility. There's some chaos. There's some natural disasters. There's evil. There's sin. And now all that order that we know is there because we believe in God. So there must be some order, but we can't figure out what God is doing. We don't see it because we can't. We're not God. So what do we do? Fear Him. We often spend so much time searching for God's order in the world. And we just ask these questions. Why? Why? Why, God? And we question God like Job did. What are you doing here in this situation, God? Why did you bring COVID-19 in 2020? Why? Why the riots? Why the presidential election and the way it turned out? Why did my mom or dad have to die? Why did that miscarriage have to happen? Why are so many children being killed in the womb every single day? 
in our country? Why does evil go unpunished? Why does evil even exist? Check out the book of the month on that one. I was so happy, God. Why did you have to do this in my life now? I wasn't planning for that. This is going to be my best life now. And you messed it up, God. That's the way people talk sometimes. Why did you let drugs and murder and sin and evil into the world? Why, why, why? You have to be very careful when we start asking God why. And these wisdom books teach us that's not really the best way to go about it. Read the scriptures. Understand who God is. Maybe you'll know why. Maybe you won't. Maybe you'll know in heaven. But there's no promises that you're going to know everything. You can't know everything or you would be God. Here's the thing though. Wisdom books in the Bible teach us we can't figure it all out. The, the purpose of them is not to teach us all wisdom. The purpose is to teach us how to live a godly life as a believer, as a follower of God. Let's move on to number four, the last one. And this is a big one. So we're going to go quick. Number four, why are the wisdom books important to the new covenant believer? So I'm a, I'm a Christian. I love the New Testament. So why study wisdom? What, what can wisdom do for us in the new covenant? Because that's in the old covenant, isn't it? Don't we have the Holy Spirit now to help us make wise decisions? Do we really need to study and study and study and study wisdom literature when we have the Holy Spirit who is the all-wise God in us? How can this Old Testament wisdom stuff really help us to live out our identity in Christ? We have an identity in Christ. And how does wisdom literature really help us to live that out? Well, first of all, you need to know, 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for what? Teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness. You know what that just summed up? Godly wisdom. How to live out godly wisdom in your life. All Scripture. Every book. The believers in the New Testament that we hear about in Acts, that all they had was the Old Testament. For a long time, until Paul wrote his letters and other writers like John and Matthew wrote their Gospels. So keep that in mind. But let's take a quick survey of the New Testament and what Jesus and the apostles have to say about wisdom. This is not just an Old Testament theme. They're building on the foundation of the Old Testament. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that that was written for us so that we could learn and not make the same mistakes that Israel made. And yet too often we're going back and making those same mistakes. The Old Testament is there for our instruction. Let's talk about Jesus and wisdom. Luke 2.40, if you want to follow along with me. Up until the time of Jesus going to the temple. So from toddler to 12, here's Luke 2.40's summary of that time. 10 years probably. The child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom. And the grace of God was upon him. He's a son of God and he's increasing in wisdom? Yes, in his humanity. He's human like us. He has to grow. His body has to grow. His mind has to grow. His human soul, in a sense, has to grow in wisdom. And then Luke 2.52 summarizes his 12 to 13 going to the temple all the way to adulthood. till we catch him later in his early 30s. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So he's growing up. That's his stature. God is having favor with him. Men are showing favor. But he's increasing in wisdom. The Son of God is growing in wisdom. What wisdom? How did he know what wisdom was? Well, he heard about it in the synagogue. He talked about it with his parents. He got it from the Old Testament. He said that believers should be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. What does he mean by wise as serpents? Wise according to the Bible. Now go to Matthew 7, 24. And let's see how Jesus ends the most famous sermon that he ever preached. The Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount stretches from Matthew 5, 6, and into 7. And he ends it like this. He's summarizing everything he's taught here. And he's, he's saying what to do with it. Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. You're wise if you take scripture and you take the sayings of Jesus and you build your life on them because he is the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and yet it did not fall 
Greta had been founded on the rock. Believers who are founded on the rock and build wisely don't get knocked around and bashed around every time something happens in life. Everyone who hears the words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man. The opposite of wisdom is foolishness. A foolish man who built his house on the sand. He built it on his own understanding, on his own human wisdom. This is the worldly wise man. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against the house and it fell and great was its fall. Unbelievers build their house on worldly wisdom. Believers build their house on the wisdom of Christ. In the early church, Acts 6.3, they're looking for some deacons. They, they can't serve all the body physically. The apostles can't, so they look for deacons. Acts 6.3 says, Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, and of wisdom. Put them in charge of this task. You don't want deacons who aren't wise. It's not like we're drawing straws to see who can be a deacon. You want somebody who has wisdom. They're going to be helping people. They're going to be handling money. They're going to be doing the things that are serving in the church. Paul talks a lot about God's wisdom versus Greek wisdom. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This really is the key passage that compares the two. And he's building on what's there in the Old Testament. Worldly wisdom versus God's wisdom. You see, the Greeks really prided themselves on wisdom. They thought wisdom was just speculating and thinking and sitting back and sort of taking it easy and thinking about all these wonderful things in life and where does evil come from and is there a God or not? It's kind of philosophy that happens today. But here's what Paul says in chapter 1, verse 21. He comes out strongly. He says, For since in the wisdom of God, so there is a good wisdom, it's the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. So the world has a wisdom and they can't get to God through that way. And God designed it that way. It was his wisdom that designed it that way. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. America, we're the Greeks. We search for wisdom. We want, we want to know how to make money in the stock market, and be, be wise according to the world in this area, and in our job, and, and worldly success in our marriage. We seek for wisdom. But Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. To Jews, a stumbling block. To Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. The ultimate display of God's wisdom can be found in Christ. He is the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So go down now to verse uh, 27. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, according to the world. They think they're so smart, but they don't even see the truth of the cross. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. Go to verse 30. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God righteousness, sanctification, redemption. We love to say Christ is our sanctification. He's our justification. He's our wisdom too. Much of what he teaches sounds very similar to the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. Go to 1 Corinthians 3.18. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, worldly wise, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. Which is it, Paul? Is wisdom good or not? Well, it depends. What are you talking about? If it's wise according to this age, no, that's, that's foolishness. So you've got to humble yourself and become foolish in your own eyes and submit to God, and then you'll actually become wise according to God's wisdom. In Ephesians 1.17, Paul says, he actually prays for them that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. I think that's the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is wise. Paul prays that the Spirit in you as a believer would give you even more wisdom of how to live your life. Ephesians 5, 15, he says, don't walk as unwise, but walk as a wise Christian. The wisdom of Christ is there for us. The wisdom of the Scriptures. Colossians 1, 9, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we've not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. 
Wisdom's not bad if it's God's wisdom. Paul says, I ask that God would fill you up with it. Colossians 1.28, we proclaim him, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom. It's not just the content. We've got to be doers of the word. We've got to take it in and, and wisely live it out so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Colossians 2.3, speaking of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You want to be wise? Don't go get the latest book on philosophy or worldly success. Read your Bible. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Colossians 4.5, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. And then lastly, 2 Timothy 3.15, God can impart wisdom that leads to salvation. These books aren't written to unbelievers, but they can be evangelistic. When somebody stumbles across them, or maybe you point them out, or maybe you're using them in counseling to an unbeliever and they see the truth of that. 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul is talking to Timothy. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, the Old Testament, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And as you read that, Paul is saying, as you read that as a child, that gave you wisdom, God gave you wisdom that led you to salvation through faith in Christ. We don't think of the wisdom books as evangelistic, but R.C. Sproul was saved by reading Ecclesiastes. I think he heard it in a class when he was at college. And it was Ecclesiastes 11.3, whether a tree falls toward the south or toward the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. Where's the gospel in that? Well, he had heard the gospel, but that verse made him realize that, you know, things come and things go. And if I die, I'm just going into the ground. And if the tree falls down, it just stays there. What matters in life is not that. This world is not ultimate. It's living for God. So that convicted him, led him to salvation. Well, a great passage on wisdom is James 1. We'll just read it real quick and conclude there. This kind of summarizes our survey in the New Testament. James chapter 1 and verse 5. You probably know it well. What happens if you need wisdom? You've heard this sermon today. And you're going to make sure to come back to hear the sermons on Ecclesiastes, but maybe you don't feel very wise. All of us at times don't feel very wise, do we? What do we do? What does James 1.5 say? Ask God for wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now, he's not just going to zap you and you're the wisest person like Solomon that's ever lived. He's going to put a desire in your heart to seek scripture, to pray, to be around other believers, and just keep working through those means to grow you. Last one, James 3.13. Who among you is wise and understanding? We should want to be wise. Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, and the gentleness of wisdom. Okay, if you're wise, live it out. That's what wisdom is. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. Don't say that you're wise and that you have godly wisdom if you do these sins. This wisdom's not from that which comes down from above, but it's earthly, natural, demonic. Worldly wisdom is demonic. And when you sin and sin and sin and live in a pattern of sin, that's worldly wisdom, that's demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there's disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Believers ought to live according to God's wisdom. Whether it's the Old Testament wisdom or the New Testament wisdom, it's all there to help us. It's all there to guide us. We could say in New Testament language that God's wisdom is godliness. Growing in God's wisdom makes us more godly. It's Christ-likeness. It's biblical excellence. It's being imitators of God. It's being sanctified. So read the book of Ecclesiastes this week. It only takes about 30, 40 minutes for most of us. Sit down and read it today, tomorrow. Let that wisdom sink in. It's not always going to make sense to you. We'll explore that as we go. And then do your best to be here for those sermons. Do your best to be here every week to hear 
God's word preached and grow. Each sermon I prepare is for our congregation, for the needs and struggles and challenges that we have here. So I challenge you to be here this year, be here to grow in wisdom. Amen. Lord, we do come before you to ask that you would help us. We ask for your wisdom. We're too influenced by the world. It takes years to to get that wisdom out of us and to get your wisdom into us. So I ask that you would speed that up, that you would give us more and more of your wisdom, that we might live a life that honors you, that glorifies you. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.